1: Christ Fellowship. How we doing? Doing all right? I know it's a little cloudy outside, right? But that's not going to get us down, right? No? No? All right. all right. I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's joining us online this morning. Thank you for being, uh, for choosing Christ Fellowship to spend your morning with. It's great. My name is Eddie, in case we have any first-time visitors with us here today. And if we do have any first-time visitors with us here today, you have actually joined us in a super fantastic time period during Christ Fellowship. You see, we are in the middle. We are right in the middle of our study of the New Testament. In fact, we are in a section of what is known and commonly referred to as the Epistles. Now, I don't want to kind of scare you with that word. And just to get everybody on the same page, what is an epistle? Well, an epistle in the Greek language, it literally means this. It means handwritten letter, not an email, not a lengthy text message or anything like that, but it literally means a handwritten letter. It's a handwritten letter to a particular person or a handwritten letter to a particular group of people. That's literally what an epistle is. And the cool thing about the rest of our time in the New Testament is that every book that we're going to be studying from here on out, with the exception of maybe one or two, is written in this style, in the style of an epistle. And the cool thing about these letters is that they were directed to the church. Not only were they directed to the church, but they took on the name of the city or the province or the town that they were sent to. For example, last week, Pastor Carlos spoke about 1st and 2nd Corinthians. How many of you guys remember that? 1st and 2nd Corinthians. All right. Some of you very well. Well, those epistles, those letters were written to the churches in the city of Corinth at that time. Hence the name 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now, I want to be very clear about something because I don't want any of us to be confused about it. These epistles were meant for the churches. They were meant for the churches. Pastor Carlos covered that very clearly last week. They were meant for the churches. More specifically, they were meant for the people in the churches. That's who they were written for. But even more importantly, they were meant for the churches, for the people in the church, and for those people that were in the church to take that word that they got from that letter and apply it to themselves and then have that application permeate all throughout the rest of the church outside of the four walls, into the neighborhoods, the towns, the city, or the provinces that it belonged to. So although these letters that we read right now were meant for the churches and had their start there, it doesn't mean that it was supposed to stop there. It was meant to keep going. It was meant to permeate outside of all of that. And one of the cool things about these epistles and these letters is that they highlight a very common theme throughout every single one of them, And the common theme is Christian living, Christian living. If you ever had a question such as, how can I live my life in a way that is pleasing to God? If you ever asked yourself that question, how can I live my life in a way that is pleasing to God? All you would have to do is simply go to the Bible, open up to one of the epistles, read it for a little while. And I'm almost positive you'll get an answer. Or maybe you've asked a question such as, "How does God want me to live my life in a way that He approves?" Very simple. Open up the epistles, read it for a little while. I guarantee you you might get an answer. Or maybe you've asked a question or, "What are some of the ways that God can guide my life, not so that it's better according to me, but that it's better according to Him?" It's very simple. Open up your Bible to one of the epistles, read it for a little while. I guarantee you'll get an answer. And just to give you some context, there are 21 epistles, letters in the New Testament, and every single one of them has at least a life application or a golden nugget that you can take into your life, apply it, and it would answer one of these questions. Guarantee it. And the main person the main person who was a catalyst for a majority of these letters is a man who goes by the name of Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. We've been talking about him for the past few weeks. We are introduced to Paul in the book of Acts when he has an encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. And it's from that point forward that his life is never the same. It's never the same. The moment he encountered Jesus, boom, after that, his life was completely different. It was changed. And I guarantee you, if you were to ask anybody here who has had an encounter with Jesus, who has given up their heart to him and has made them their Lord and Savior, they would say the same exact thing to you, that their life has never been the same. Never. And that's what happened to Paul. His life was never the same after he encountered Jesus. He lived his life completely sold out for him. He did. He went on missionary journeys. He planted so many churches, I can't even count them, and he never compromised his beliefs. No matter what was going on in his life at that moment, he never compromised his beliefs. Whether he was stoned by the people Whether he was whipped, whether he was flogged, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was dragged out of a city and left for dead, because those things happened to him. He would simply get up, get up in his pain, his physical pain. He would get up with his injuries. He would get up with maybe a couple of broken bones, because it's hard for me to imagine somebody getting stoned by a whole entire town and not have a broken bone, but he would get up dust himself off, and he would keep advancing the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how awesome Paul was. And whenever he would receive word, whenever Paul would receive word that one of the churches that the Lord Jesus led him to plant was having something wrong, whenever he would receive word that one of the churches was going astray, whenever he would receive word that one of the churches was teaching something that was not in line with the gospel of Jesus, Paul would make it a point to show up physically to that church. He would show up to that church, and he would steer the ship back on the course that it needed to be on. And if Paul wasn't able to be there in person, Paul would write. He would write to them an epistle. And the authority that God had given Paul was so bad that he didn't have to show up. These churches would flip right around. And during this time, the first century church, because this is kind of like the beginning of the church. during this time, The first century church at this time was dealing with a lot of things, a lot of things. And unfortunately, the issues that they were dealing with over 2,000 years ago, some of these issues are still prevalent today in our time. We're still dealing with some of these issues. And in the province of Galatia, which is where we're going this morning, in the province of Galatia, it was no different. They were dealing with something. And because Paul wasn't able to be there in person, Paul wrote to them the epistle, the book that we have come to know as the book of Galatians. And here are just some quick facts about this book. The book of Galatians has six chapters. Say six. six. Six chapters. It's a very short book, but the reality is this. We can do a six-week series on every single chapter because that book is that good. We're not going to do that. We're only going to talk about it today. I'm sorry. I hate the burst your bubble. Biblical scholars can't really agree on the specific date of when it was written. But the consensus is that it was anywhere between 51 A.D. and 57 A.D. The style of writing, as we have come to know, as you see right behind me, is an epistle, a letter. That's the style of writing. The author is obviously Paul. And the main theme, the main theme of this book, of this epistle, is that people, you, me, everybody, is that people are justified by faith alone alone in Jesus Christ. People are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That word justified, it means that we are made righteous. And that word righteous, it means that we are in right standing, that we are okay in the eyes of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And this right here was a super hot topic in the church of Galatia at this time. And the reason why it was such a hot topic was because there was a group of individuals. There were these Jewish Christians, either called Judaizers, Judaizers, whatever, but us just say Jewish Christians. There was a group of Jewish Christians who were spreading a false teaching around the Galatian churches at this time. And the false teaching had to do something like this. They believed, and they were teaching, that some of the Old Testament practices, some of the Old Testament laws were still binding in the modern church, in the new church meaning that you had to do, you had to follow some of the Old Testament practices in order to be fully saved. That's what they were saying. They were saying that there were some things on our end that we had to do. There were certain things that we had to continue to do in order to be considered fully saved, in order to be considered Christian. If you didn't do these things, then you weren't fully saved. And just to give you a quick example of what some of these things are, I just want to share them with you. It's not a lot. It's just a little. Not a lot. Just a little. One of the things that they wanted you to do was that you would have to observe all of the sacred days of the Old Testament. All of the holy days, all of the sacred days, you had to observe them. Quick side note. I went back. I looked. I had to stop at 15. It's way too many. Way too many days. Can't do it. Sorry. Another thing that they wanted you to do, they wanted you to follow all the laws of Moses. They wanted you to follow all the laws of Moses. That's the Ten Commandments, which I'm pretty sure a majority of us are familiar with, the Ten Commandments, right? How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? That's uh, almost everybody, right? The Ten Commandments. They wanted you to follow all the laws of Moses. That's the Ten Commandments. But did you know that there's 613 traditions that support the Ten Commandments that Moses wrote about? So they wanted you to follow that too. So there's the Ten Commandments, the 613 traditions, the sacred days. Another thing that they wanted you to do was that you had to adhere to a strict daily dietary requirement. Certain things you can eat, certain things you can't eat. If you ate something that you weren't supposed to eat, you were out. No arroz con pollo, no gandules, none of that. And the last thing which was the biggest elephant in the room at this time, was circumcision. You had to be circumcised. You had to be circumcised. So these teachers were saying that you had to do all of these things in order to be fully saved. To be fully saved. But there's a problem here. There's a problem. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what he said. And Paul, having heard this, he realizes like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. That's not what my Lord and Savior said. That's not what he did. That's not what he lived out. That's not what he gave to us. What are you guys doing? So Paul writes to them, and he addresses this very issue in the very first, in one of the very first sentences in Galatians. In the first chapter, right after his greeting and right after his salutation, he goes right into this. And he tells them something. He's like, listen, whatever they're spreading, that's not the gospel. That's not what God had given you. And that's where we're going to start our time together. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this to them. I am astonished. I'm astonished. It means he can't believe it. This is crazy to him. He's beyond himself. I am astonished, he says to them that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And we're going to talk more about that word grace in a little bit. To live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he, then he kind of hits him with the wapatasso real fast. He says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel Of Christ. Let me tell you something real fast. Not really in my notes, but I just had to do a little quick sidebar. People who are not on the side of Jesus, people who are not about building up his church, they're all about trying to confuse you, they're all about it. They're all about trying to use whatever ways, whatever methods, whatever situations that they can do, whatever sayings, whatever hyperboles, whatever quotes they can use. They're always trying to use something to confuse you, to make you second guess what Jesus Christ has said about you in your life. And that's what these people were trying to do. But they were perverting it, Paul says. Well, what were they perverting it with? They were perverting the gospel with something called legalism. Legalism. And legalism can be very dangerous if it exists in a church. But legalism can be even more dangerous if it exists in us. If it exists in us. And this is what legalism is. Legalism is a strict adherence to law or prescription, especially to the letter rather than the spirit meaning all the do's and don'ts, all the regulations, all the laws, all this, the letter of that, I'm holding that to a T. But the Spirit of God, eh, but this is what it's all about. It's about following all of the laws, keeping to the laws, no matter what, rather than the Spirit. It's the doctrine that salvation is gained through good works. If you're good enough for long enough, you can get salvation on your own without the need of Jesus. That's what legalism is. And I believe this morning that this is the very thing that Jesus doesn't want us to fall into. Because if they were addressing it and they were talking about it back then over 2,000 years ago, that this was a danger that the people in these churches were starting to spread and to fall into, guess what? There's a possibility. There's a potential that maybe we might be able to fall into it too. I remember I remember years ago. I remember years ago when I was a super young baby Christian. We're going back like twenty something years. I'm twenty two right now. That would mean I was two. No. I remember when I was a very young Christian. And I used, to think, I used to think this way. Maybe you probably thought this way, too. But I remember when I was a young Christian, I remember that if when I first started following God, it was super cool. Like, God was in my life. He was, you know, everything was going great and fantastic. Like, he was changing everything. It was amazing. And I remember that the first time I did something that was against his word that God didn't want me to do, I used to think that that would make me, I would have to start all the way back at square one. That would make, like, all the stuff that God was doing over here, all the stuff that he was doing in my life, oh, I messed up. Now I have to go all the way back here, and God has to build me back up to this point. That's what I used to think. Not only that, but if I did something really bad, if I did something super bad, like, wow, like, like whoa, like, whoa, Eddie, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, if I did something super bad, I used to think that God would be so disappointed in me, that he would be so upset with me, that he would, he would be so downcasted by what I just did that he wouldn't forgive me right away. I used to believe that he would withhold his forgiveness. And even worse, I used to think, oh man, I just lost my salvation. And you know what I would do? I would be on my best behavior for a very long period of time, thinking that if I'm good enough for long enough, God will give it back to me. You ever thought like that? Has anything like that ever crossed your mind at some point? If it has, that's legalism. That's legalism. That I can lose my salvation or gain my salvation by the good that I do or the good that I don't do. And if we're living with this type of view of God, if we're living with this type of perspective of God, we are leaving room inside of our heart for the seed of legalism to grow in our life. We're leaving room for it to grow. I read this quote the other day. It was so super appropriate for what we're talking about today. It says this. It says, if you stress the importance of being obedient apart from faith, If you stress so much doing the good, the do's and the don'ts, all this other stuff, and there's no faith attached to any of it, you are producing legalism. If you stress the importance of being obedient apart from faith, you are producing legalism. And legalism can have so many ill side effects. I just want to touch on one or two of them. For example, it can affect the way we view our relationships with other people. Legalism can affect the way we view our relationships with other people. Let me give you a quick example. In the middle of the relationship, whatever relationship, take friend, wife, husband, other people, whatever it is, if in the middle of that relationship, if there's a hint of legalism that is starting to sprout up in your life, there is going to be an unspoken prideful comparison. An unspoken, prideful comparison. It's like, no, I do. I do X, Y, and Z. I follow X, Y, and Z. But them, them over there, they don't do. Just so you know. They don't do. They, it looks like they don't follow. There's an unspoken, prideful comparison. And without even realizing it, we are placing ourselves above them. So much so that we may even begin to judge them for the struggles and the things that they are going through, for the seasons of their life. Like, oh, man, yo, the, yo, you heard about so-and-so? That person's struggling so bad with X, Y, and Z. You know what? No, They're probably struggling because they don't do what I do. They probably don't have as much faith as I have. That's probably why they're going through that. That's probably why they're going through that. If they had the faith that I had, if they were doing the things that I was doing, if they were following the way that I was following, maybe that wouldn't have happened to them. Or even worse, we might even separate ourselves from them and disassociate ourselves from them. Hey, do you know this person? Yeah, I know them, but you know, yeah, I know them from a distance. I know them from afar. Don't don't put me in the same boat as them. I'm I'm not where they're at. I'm I'm over here. I'm good. All the while, all the while, without even noticing it, those people—they're in need. There's a need. They are in need. They need to experience the love of Jesus. They need to experience his help. They need to experience his embrace. They need to experience his word. They need to experience his mercy, his forgiveness. They need to experience Jesus. They need to experience Jesus through us. They need to experience Jesus through you. But legalism But legalism will blind us to the needs of our neighbor. And instead of living united and tending to the needs the way Jesus Christ would have us tend to the needs of our brother and sister, we can't even see their needs because we're so busy looking at what we've been doing and how great and good we are and the things that we follow. So instead of living united, we're living divided. And we do that because we're placing ourselves above them by the things that we do and the things that they don't. Paul, in chapter 2 of Galatians, he tells us about a moment that looks just like this. And he tells a story with the person that you would least expect to be maybe a part of something like this. Peter, the disciple of Jesus. I feel like Peter gets a bad rep sometimes. He was a man, though. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us about this incident that looks very similar to what we just spoke about. And it involves Peter. He saw Peter doing something that wasn't right, that wasn't in line with the gospel, that wasn't in line with the way Jesus wanted us to live. And Paul, being the person that he is, because let's just face it, Paul wears his heart on his sleeve, Paul calls Peter out directly, right to his face. And says, hey, listen, I know you're Peter. I know you're the leader that Jesus had left in charge. But just so you know, what you're doing right now, it's wrong. Flat out wrong. And we're going to read about that right now. In Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, Paul writes this. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in The wrong. Before certain men came from James, now these certain men, just to give you a little backstory about them, these certain men were part of that same group of people that we spoke about earlier. The ones who were saying you had to follow this, you had to follow this, you had to do this, you had to do this in order to be considered fully saved. These people that were sent from James, they were part of that same group, just so that we know who it is that they're talking about. Verse 12 again. Before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. Peter used to rub elbows with these Gentiles. And these Gentiles that he used to rub elbows with, they were also believers in the faith. So Peter would sit down, have dinner with them, chill, do whatever, have conversations and stuff like that. You know, be really, be really cool. But when they arrived, they being those people that I was talking about, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Peter saw these people who came down that were preaching this false gospel. He knew what they were all about. They were Jewish people who turned out to be Christian. That's who Peter was. Peter was a Jewish person who converted over to Christianity through Christ. Peter was circumcised just like they were circumcised because of the old covenant, the old practices before Jesus came. But look what it says though. He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews, they joined him in his... What's that H word right there? I can't read it. What was it? I'm sorry. Hypocrisy. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Peter. Peter separated himself from the very people that God wanted him to have a relationship with, all because they weren't circumcised. The Gentiles were not Jewish, and they were not circumcised. Peter was okay hanging out with them, but then when he saw all those other people come around, Peter was like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me disassociate myself. Let me separate myself from these people, because I don't want to be in that group. Hey, Peter, what's going on? Hey, man, what's up? Hey, you know, these guys, I don't know them. No, no, I don't know them. I don't know who they are. All because they weren't circumcised. In other words, because they weren't following the letter of the law. And without knowing it, Peter, Peter, and without knowing it, he was causing a division in the church between those who observed the law, who were the Jewish people, and those who simply have faith, who were just the Gentiles. As we can see, legalism can be a very dangerous thing in the church. And even more dangerous if we carry it. Because it doesn't just affect the church. It affects our personal relationships as well. It affects our personal relationships. But Paul isn't finished. He continues to reveal an amazing truth to Peter. And in verse 16, while still speaking to Peter, and I believe to us, he writes this in Galatians 2.16. He says, know that man is not justified. There's that justified word again. Know that man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. I'm going to say it again. Know that man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about the laws. It's not about this. It's all about faith and believing in Jesus Christ. What Paul was saying, what he was meaning by that was that people can't be made justified. They can't be made right in the eyes of God by a law that they follow, by a rule that they keep in check by a list that they stick to, or by a pattern that they perform. They're not justified by doing that. They're only justified by faith in Jesus. But to live that way, to live that way with that kind of mentality would give us the misconception, unfortunately. It would give us the misconception that we're able to do it on our own. That we're able to do it on our own. That if we're good enough for long enough, that if we're good enough for long enough, God would come down, look at us and say, Hey, man, you were good enough for a long enough time. Here's my salvation. You earned it. You earned it. You were good enough for long enough. You earned it. You earned it. But there is something really off-putting about that. Something like, I, 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 I hear that, and, and I, it, just, it doesn't sit right with me. I'm not sure if it does, if it doesn't sit right with you. So Paul continues. He writes this. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. And again, we're going to talk about grace in just a little bit. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, meaning I, I, I'm not going to put God's grace over here and ignore it. He said, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Why? He says, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. If salvation, if salvation was something that you and I would be able to gain on our own, if salvation was something that we would be able to obtain, that, we, that if we just performed well enough and good enough for long enough, if salvation was something that you and I would be able to get without any other assistance, then Jesus Christ coming down from heaven and dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins was pointless. There would have been no reason to send him. No reason. If you and I were able to gain it all on our own, it would have been pointless in sending Jesus. But God did send his son. God did send Jesus. He did. He sent his son because he knew that the only way that a relationship between us and him would be able to be restored is by the sacrifice of his only son. He loves us so much. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die a gruesome death on the cross to make payment in our stead for the sins of our lives past, present, future, everybody who existed back then, everybody who exists now, and everybody who exists in the future. That's why he came. The death that we deserve, the death that we deserve, Jesus took it upon himself. He took it upon himself so that this awesome gift of salvation, that this awesome gift of salvation could be given to us freely. It could be given to us purposefully. It could be given to us unmerited without our effort. That's called grace. That's called grace. Freely, purposefully, unmerited, without our effort. God loves us so much. He said, you know what? There's a problem over here that exists in the world. I'm going to take care of it. And when I take care of it, you don't have to worry about it anymore. That is what God did. That is what he did. It's called grace and grace is the counter to legalism. Grace is the counter to legalism. Legalism says, you must do. That's what legalism says. Legalism says, you must do. But grace says, Jesus has already done. Jesus has already done. And because Jesus has already done, we are given this freedom to be able to approach the God of the universe and experience him for who he truly is. Think about that. We are now, freely, we are able to experience his forgiveness. We are able to experience his healing. We are able to experience his mercy. We are able to experience his guidance. We are able to experience his holy correction. We are able to experience his will, his purpose for our life. We are able to experience all because of grace. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Not our effort. Not our effort. Not ours. What an amazing gift grace is. How awesome. How powerful. Grace does something else, just to be sure, just to be clear. Grace makes sure that the glory, goes to who it needs to go to, him. Grace makes sure that the glory goes to who the glory needs to go to, that the credit, that the credit goes to who the credit needs to go to, not us, him, because we can't do it on our own effort. It's impossible. I don't know about you, but when something so amazing becomes available, We should be quick to respond to it. This gift of grace is so amazing. We should be quick to respond to it. We should be so thankful for this gift of grace that God has given us. We should be accepting of this gift of grace that God has given us. And one of the ways, and one of the ways that we can express our gratitude for this gift that he has given us is by living our life in a way that honors him. Is by living our life in a way that glorifies him. And one of the ways that we can do that, I'm pretty sure you're wondering why this whiteboard is here. One of the ways that we can do that, actually there's going to be several ways that we're going to talk about. One of the ways that we can do that Living our life in a way that honors him is through these things that you see here. Prayer, reading, worship, tithe, serving, obedience. I know this seems kind of like a checklist, but we're going to go through it. One of the ways that we can honor him, one of the ways that we can honor him is through prayer. It's through prayer. It's through this Prayer. But it's not prayer that looks like this. It's not prayer that says, Lord, I'm gonna come and just dump all of my requests and all of my wishes at your feet. God, you got it? I'm out. That's not it. That's not it. It's prayer, but it's prayer with listening, it's prayer with the pause. It's prayer that says, Lord, yes, these are my requests. These are my things. But, God, I want to honor you with my life. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here for a while and listen and see if there's anything that you want to talk to me about. Prayer. Another way that we can honor God with our life is by reading, reading his word. But it's not reading with a, with a all right, right, five. I got five minutes for I got to go to work. Okay. All right, five. All right. Boom, God, you see what I did? I read, I'm out. It's not that. It's not that. It's reading with an expectation that he will reveal himself through his word to you. It's reading with an expectation that he's going to talk to you through his word. That he's going to tell you something super amazing about your life. Something that you need to correct, maybe something that you need to do, maybe a forgiveness that you need to have. Maybe there's a healing in his word, but if we're so quick to just go like this and be out, we miss the, we miss the revelation that he wishes to give to us. Reading in a way that honors him with our life. Another way that we can do that is through worship. And this one's really deep. This one's really tough. Because living our life in a way that honors him with our worship is living our life in a way that doesn't have arms raised high with empty hearts. It's not a worship that goes through the motions. It's a worship that that lets God know, God, I'm broken. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm struggling. God, I need you, God. It's a worship that looks like that. God, I can't do it on my own. I'm here worshiping you, Lord, because there's no other option in the world that can fix what needs fixing. It's only you, God. God, I'm broken. I need you, God. I want my life to honor you through my worship, Lord. Another way is through tithe. And this is very simple. Money doesn't make the world go round. God makes the world go round. It's about trust. God, I'm trusting you. And for some of us, this may be a very hard thing, not just with tithe, but with anything. God, I'm going to honor my life by tithing because I trust you. Because I trust you, God. Another way that we can honor God through our life is by serving. But it's not a serving that says, look at me look at me, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Did you see me bring this table out today? I hope you saw it because I did it. It's not a serving that looks like that. It's a serving that is coupled up humbly, humbly, not considering ourselves better than the person that we are serving, not considering ourselves above anybody, but serving them to their needs, serving them because it's what God calls us to do. That is one of the ways that we can honor God with our life because of the gift of grace that he has given us. Humbly serve him. And I know this word scares you. Obedience. When I take a look at this word obedience. It's not obedience just to be obedient. It's not following the do's and don'ts just to follow the do's and the don'ts. It's not that. Lord, you've given me this amazing gift. You've given us. He's given you this amazing gift of grace, this amazing gift of salvation, something that we were not able to do on our own, but you did it for us, God, so you can get all the glory and all the credit. How thankful am I for that? And because you have, Lord, there is so much love. Because you loved us first, Lord, I'm going to love you back. Because you had faith in us first, Lord, I'm going to have faith back. It's obedience through love and through faith. I remember when I first, oh, not when I first, me and my wife uh, were celebrating 15 years of marriage. Fifteen years of marriage, and I'll be honest with you, it's, it's been a roller coaster. But I remember the day when we were sitting at the, uh, standing at the altar, and Pastor Raul was saying all these really wonderful things to me and her. And I remember him saying, you know, do you? Yes, I do. Do you? Yes, I do. And he went down this really big list of things, for better or for worse, sickness and health. You guys know the spiel. And I remember just sitting there looking into her eyes, almost bawling up and crying because literally... She chose me. She chose me. She, she is literally, at this moment, giving her life to me. Giving her life to me. And because she has, I love her. I know I complain sometimes about some of the things that, you know, she asked me to do something and I'll complain a little bit and throw a little tiff about it. But the reality is this. I love doing things for her. I love doing things for her. I'm obedient and faithful to my wife because she loves me first. And I love her back just as much. I know that when we take a look at this right here, this looks like a checklist, right? Looks like a checklist. But we were just speaking against checklists and following laws and stuff like that. I just want to say something to you right now. This right here, this counts. This counts. But doing it this way, I'm done. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. And Paul At the very end of his book of Galatians, he says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Christ gave his life for you because he loves you and he did it with the off chance that you might accept his gift of grace and salvation. That's why he did it. He did it with the off chance that you might say yes to him, that you might want to draw closer to him, that you might want to be a part of what it is that he is doing. But if we let legalism get in the way, then it becomes a very tough road. He did it because he knows that we we wouldn't have been able to do it. So I have two questions for you. Do you recognize your need for a savior? Do you recognize it every day? Do you recognize your need for a savior? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to do it On your own. Jesus is saying to you right now, you don't have to. I already took care of it for you. All he wants is for you to draw nearer to him to draw closer to him so that he can take you to a deeper and more intimate place in your relationship with him, a place where his grace abounds, a place where his love is permeating all around you and realize with the realization that he has taken care of that. At this very moment, if you want to accept his gift of grace. If you want to draw closer to God, if you're tired of saying, I don't want to do it on my own anymore, God, there's something else. There is. It's Jesus. And if you wish to draw closer, more deeper into him, they're going to sing this song that I believe is super powerful. And if you want that in your life, that closeness with God, Don't worry about the person to the left or to the right of you. Come up here and worship. Come up here and worship, knowing that you have a need for him and that there is a brokenness that only he can take care of. Come, worship. Yes, God. Lord, we thank you so much, my God, for every single person here, my God, who had a desire to draw closer to you, my God. I pray, Lord, over every single person here right now, my Lord, that they would realize your gift, your grace of your salvation, your love, my God. I pray, Lord, that we would come humbly to you, my Lord realizing that we are unable to do it on our own, my God, that it's not about the do's, it's not about the don'ts, my God, it's not about any of that, my Lord. It's about having faith in you, my Lord. So I pray, Lord, because of this awesome gift of grace that you have given us, Lord, that we will be able to approach you, my God, confidently, my Lord, confidently, my Lord, to experience you, my Lord, for who you really are, my God. Your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, my God, your healing, my God. I pray for every person who is at the altar, Lord, that with their brokenness, my God, with the desire, my Lord, to be closer to you, Lord, that you would meet them where they are right now, my God, that you would meet them where they are, Lord, that you would come into their hearts, my Lord, that you would guide them, that you would show them, my Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, my God, in their life, my Lord. That they would experience the fullness of your grace and of your love, my Lord. And as a result of all of that, my God, they would pray, they would read, they would worship, they would be obedient to you, my God. That they would live a life completely sold out for you, my God. That they would follow you and honor you and bring you glory, my God. Because you deserve it all, my Lord. You deserve it all. We thank you. Have a great week, guys. Love you.
0: Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelisabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.